Secret Movie Clubbers, Happy New Year. Although by the time you hear this, we'll be uh, two weeks into the new year. This is Secret Movie Club Podcast 87, and the gang is all back. This podcast is going to be a catch-up episode. What we saw, what we did over the break, bridging 2021 to 2022, diving into movies and pop culture and hopefully being nutritious. Who's with us today? Hey, it's Dan. I should have got a new thing for the new year. Oh, whatever. Hey, hey it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz. And I continue to be the people's champion. Hello, America. It's uh, it's been a while. But the team has reassembled. This is Avengers 6. I don't really know more of Marvel mythology. That's Connor's wheelhouse. So. All right, Grandpa. <laughs> this is... Uh, <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't have even tried to crack a joke about something I'm not too up on. But we, uh, we are back. It is wonderful to have everybody. When you guys hear this tonight which will be Friday, January 14th. We are doing Bad Boys 2 and Pain and Gain on 35mm. I'm just going to go on the record. I love Bad Boys 2. I was really against Michael Bay in general, and I wasn't really super into his movies. And then I went and saw Bad Boys 2 on my own because I just needed to, like... You know, everyone, you just got to go to a movie theater and, and just have a good time. And I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. And it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. And by the time they were doing a car chase in Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, I was like, this is ridiculous and amazing. And he does like a 360 shot of Peter Skarsgård with bombs and stuff in a nightclub. And I was like, OK, I'm in. I, 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 I just want to say I watched Bad Boy Sue right before he made the announcement just saying if it weren't for me you would not program bye boys too i'm just saying i'm just yet again secret movie club saved by edwin gomez if i don't give you enough credit for being the savior and the only reason that we're still standing edwin here it is recorded it's all about Uh, edwin exactly man i keep saving your ass every single day man uh bad boys too and pain and gain pain and gain by the way is often my friend whose favorite directors are jean renoir and rainer Werner fassbender the reason i programmed it was because he said pain and gain is michael bay's fargo and he said he was like really surprised at how fun it was so then tomorrow saturday at the million dollar theater we're doing uh michael bay's gotta see him on the big screen the rock and armageddon on 35 millimeter and I actually read a very reputable James Bond website that recommended if you wanted to see Sean Connery's last James Bond movie, just watch The Rock and imagine he's James Bond because the character is actually trained by the British Secret Service and uh, has done British Secret Service missions. Come and see Sean Connery. In 1996, by the way, when he was 66 years old, headlining an action movie. And then Armageddon, of course, where Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck go to space to Aerosmith and Steve Buscemi betrays them on an asteroid or something. And a lot of good color control. So come see those movies. Then on Wednesday, we kick off uh, January 19th, our director of the year, John Ford. We're starting with Ford Apache, which is the beginning of his cavalry trilogy. I will get more into this later, but my three favorite directors are Akira Kurosawa, John Ford, Jean Renoir. And I cannot ever overstate how important John Ford is to me. And I will just by way of a pitch say that Akira Kurosawa said the only person he studied was John Ford. Orson Welles said the only person he studied was John Ford. Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese have both gone on the record that the movie that they watch before they direct new movies, one of them is John Ford movies. Satyajit Ray, Igmar Bergman called John Ford the greatest director in the world. This is just a small 
small number of people that John Ford influenced. So he's very much a Rosetta Stone for a lot, a lot of cinema. And we kick off that series with a 35 millimeter print of Fort Apache, one of the very first American movies, actually, to portray Native Americans in a positive light and to portray the American military in an ambivalent light and to question American military motives towards Native Americans. This was 1947. So it's a pretty mind blowing movie. Plus, it's got an adult Shirley Temple and great dance sequences and a lot of comedy as Ford movies always do. Then Thursday, we are doing Robert Rodriguez's still my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie, El Mariachi on 35 millimeter. What's your favorite, Edwin? Edwin shaking his head at me like I should be ashamed of that statement. Desperado. Desperado has Salma Hayek. Like almost takes your argument over the finish line. Anyway, uh, Robert Rodriguez is made for $7,000. We're doing that on 35 millimeter as part of our uh, little movie that could. And I actually can announce this. I'm really excited about this. Uh, We're moving our Andrew Bujalski double to the end of January. Why? Because Mr. Bujalski is joining us for a Q&A, which is huge. He'll be coming in remote from Austin. He's going to talk about how he did mutual appreciation and computer chess. Computer chess, one of my favorite movies of 2013. I am so grateful. Writer-director Andrew Bujalski joining Secret Movie Club. That will be, I believe, Tuesday, January 25th. And he got us 35 millimeter prints in both movies. So God bless you, Andrew Bujalski. As always, you can write us a community at Secret Movie secretmovieclub.com. Check out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. There is a lot happening. We've already filled up our open mic short night for January 2022. People are submitting shorts. It's really exciting. We're going to have short film contests, photo contests. There's actually a lot that we're going to be announcing in the next few months. 2022, the year cinema came roaring back. All right, moving on. So, fellas, what do you do over the break? Why did you just hang out? So there you go. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Great to have you. Secret Movie Club Podcast 87 is in the books. I went to Texas, and I'm back, and I feel a little gunky, so I hope I don't have anything bad, and hope I start feeling a little better. Well, I saw the new Spider-Man movie a couple of times. I'm guessing, Daniel, you've also seen it once. I've seen Pete Spider-Man. It was a joy. Congratulations to Jamie for the great sound design that he helped doing the film. You can listen to Connor's referencing Jamie Hart, who's been on our podcast before. We're really lucky to have him sound designer. It's a really fun movie. It's not necessarily, I would say, top tier MCU. I don't really know how to talk about it without kind of spoiling it. Though, to be fair, most of the spoilers are things that people kind of assumed would happen in the movie anyways. Is it too fan servicey or no? Yes and no. It's hard for a movie that pitches itself on that idea to be too fan servicey. To me, the argument that it's like self-indulgent is kind of weird because that's like what you buy the ticket for to a certain degree. You have to have like a conversation about modern blockbuster filmmaking to talk because I think it does the same type of thing that Ghostbusters did, I thought, very poorly but has an emotional connection to it that makes it kind of succeed. And it was, I don't, I don't know if you had this experience, Connor, but it was maybe alarmingly, the theater was packed and I have not heard a theater <laughs> in that much of an uproar of just like every single moment built to make you stand up and clap. Our theater was going nuts and it was kind of exciting to be back in that, even though my COVID brain kept being like, stop, stop screaming. Yeah, no, that was definitely when I saw it opening night, I was sitting next to a friend who was not a fan of that. 
and was having a very bad time because of it. And I will not name them because I'll let them claim being the Grinch that stole Spider-Man from me themselves because it was a really fun first time seeing it. But I'm a very like empathic person. I kind of absorbed some of their negative vibes while watching it. And I saw it a second time in Austin with my friend Celeste, who is, you know, the only other person who's as into these movies as, as I am. And we just had a blast watching it. She hadn't seen it before. And, you know, rewatching it and especially reading. It's weird. I do think sometimes when you have movie brain, when you have like film critic brain, which we all have, it's its, its own kind of type of brain poisoning where you can't look at movies from the outside anymore. You can only look at them like pulling out their guts. I, I was reading Kim wrote on our blog because she hasn't seen most of the Spider-Man movies as it's referencing and she had a blast with it. And so I wonder to a certain degree if people who are going in aware of the things it's doing are going to be more annoyed. Kind of reminded me of, I remember people criticized uh, Rogue One, which I think is like a fine movie, but people were like, they're just referencing things to reference things. And they were talking about like the little aliens from the bar that show up in Rogue One. And I watched that and I was like, as aliens. I didn't know they were aliens <laughs> from that bar. They were a reference. And so it's almost like when you have so much knowledge, you become more annoyed with things. But I thought it was a blast, and especially revisiting it. They do a good job of emotionally grounding everything, which is what the MCU has always done a pretty solid job of. And people are killing it in it. There's some pretty great like comic book performances. Willem Dafoe especially is just like next level sink back into it at this point although i'm not the first obviously i think it has to be acknowledged that willem dafoe is one of the greatest actors of the last 30 40 years yeah i don't think that's in debate but i think people need to be saying it more he's such a chameleon and so good he's almost a victim of his own success of being able to play anything i don't know if you had this but the mcu and a lot of like the star wars movies have been de-aging people with cgi and it didn't click to me until the movie was over that Defoe and Alfred Molina are de-aged because it looks so it's like alarmingly good. I could tell with Molina a little bit, but Willem Defoe, I almost at times was like, are they even de-aging him? I watched an interview after the movie and I was like, I was like, holy crap, they're like old men now in a charming way. But they look like, you know, 2002 versions of themselves. And it's pretty impressive in a scary way how good that's gotten. I also think Zendaya is unbelievably good in these. Like she's going to be one of those actresses that we watch win awards in the years to come, but she's almost too good. Like she's just got such a grounding on this character and like sort of the emotional connection to it. So I'm glad we started out with Spider-Man No Way Home because as of right now, we're recording early January 2022. It made 500 million domestic box office during a really rough part of the COVID pandemic, still breaking records left and right. But it also raises questions about, is that the only kind of movie now that can do that. My question to you is that I've been noticing that the superhero movies are all now leaning into the multiverse thing, which you might even say was done. I love Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but now I'm noticing No Way Home multiverse. The new Doctor Strange movie is going to be multiverse. The DC, they're doing multiverse. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is coming out with Across the Spider-Verse. Several of the Disney plus Marvel shows leaned into it this last year, too. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but is, is it already too much? Is it already a gimmick that's played itself out or is this just where we are so that they can get all the people into one movie to like somehow maximize profits? I think it's just a situation where it depends on how it's done and if it's done well or not. And again, kind of like with the interconnected universe where it kind of doesn't really make sense 
for something like G.I. Joe or the Universal Monsters, this is another situation where it is natural to the source material. It's been something that's been going on in the source material for decades in comics, doing these kinds of things. But I can totally get why people are, to a certain degree, exasperated with it. But also, at the same time, you have different variations of it because you have something like Spider-Verse where it is doing the multiverse but it's doing it in a way that's originating from itself in the sense that it's not reusing old stuff as much, as much as it's sort of adapting new stuff. The Loki show this last year did some multiverse stuff, but all the multiverse stuff was new, like these other versions of Loki, like a crocodile Loki, Richard Grant as a as an old man Loki. I'm for it, but I, I know what you mean because minor spoilers i'm not going to get into the big third act stuff and no way home because it's still pretty recent but tom hardy's venom makes a cameo in it and there i think the worst part for me is the idea that it's now canonized those movies <laughs> are like with some of the andrew garfield spider-man characters like i don't really like that first andrew garfield spider-man movie i think it sucks and so the fact that it's now like directly it's also getting like reappraised like actually it's good i'm like actually it's still bad it still sucks andrew garfield was never the issue or emma stone no they're great it was the fact that presumably sony decided to hire a director based on his last name mark webb directed those movies his talents for like chemistry and relationships are on display in the best parts of those movies edwin let's let's rope you in here what do you do over your break how many obscure, mediocre movies did you watch that you're now going to try to convince me are amazing? Well, I got a Letterboxd Pro. Uh-oh. You're warned, people of Letterboxd. What does that mean? What, what does Letterboxd Pro mean? By the way, we're not being paid by Letterboxd. Um, I just like the thing. It's like a yearly subscription. You're giving them a little bit of money. It's like 20 bucks or something. And you get some extra stat pages to look at. It's kind of just a support thing for the website. I watched 748 movies. Over the break? No, in 2021. Edwin, that means you watched an average of two movies a day. How many movies were you on your phone for? Uh, None. By the way, Edwin, I'm not going to name names, but somebody who who loves you questions whether you actually ever watch a movie all the way through. I I, I do. Just have movies on in the background and look at your phone. I do. I do watch the movies. All right. I'm just saying. Sometimes I follow your letterbox. I, I quite enjoy it. And sometimes I see little things. How do you decide on a movie? Because sometimes I'll see like you watched We Bought a Zoo like multiple times last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I want to know how you land on. Is it just the vibe for the day? Do you look at your collection and you grab it? Or were you like you woke up and you were like, it's time for We Bought a Zoo round four. This <laughs> it was on Amazon Prime. I just wanted to watch a feel good movie. And that was the feel good movie I chose. So that's a perfect answer. I'm just genuinely curious if you had a process. I generally love it. It's not a great movie, but I like what it was trying to go for. Matt Damon is great. He's kind of a jerk at some points. His son is kind of an ass. I didn't mean to make you talk about that about a zoo, but... <laughs> but anyway, I watched a lot of great movies. You know what was the last movie I watched 2021? Mr. Baseball. Phantom Thread. Oh, yeah. You posted oh, about that's it. That's great. I saw it at the New Bev, New Year's Eve, 35mm. I will say, Dandy Lewis is one of the greatest British actors Ever. Controversial take. take. I'm holding it up. I don't care who, who else is out there. I was really on the fence about Daniel Day Lewis, but if you're gonna if you're gonna tell me that he's actually good, Edwin, then I mean I'll reappraise. I'll reappraise. We already are getting emails. And the, and the print they got from Universal was clean as f- arrow played on seventy millimeter. But I oh let's see on thirty five. No, I just did a lot of thought. I made a short about 
licorice pizza how people are not watching it and they're stuck at work i made that and also uh i like you the program hard target because i watched it and i bought the blu-ray oh i have been buying blu-rays a lot and it's not very good i just bought like six yesterday i feel responsible for that i feel very guilty yeah you, you probably see my story all i do is watch your story <laughs> <laughs> i actually have a i have a hot take on that Hard Target, my favorite American John Woo movie. And I will agree with you there. Whoa! I watched it high, and I ate, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing that's ever been made in a freaking action movie. Everything about it is, I want to do an essay on it just to show how crazy this movie is. There is a shot where Jean-Claude Van Damme is trying to get on a boat, but he needs some money to like get on it. And the girl's like driving away. When there's this scene where Cray moves out of the shot, and you see Van Dam just stand there, and the music for it just like builds him up to it, like burner, like oh my god. Now, now that's how you do a freaking intro, man. On the break specifically, um, I was in LA the week, the day after Christmas in that week, and I've never done that before. In LA, the week of Christmas is magical. There's no one, there's no one. Everyone's with people they love, and I'm just driving around. So I played a lot of catch-up for the year. Some standout stuff I saw during the break. The Harder They Fall on Netflix was great. I caught Benedetta, Paul Verhoeven's nun movie, which is wild. I expected it to be good, but I was surprised by how good I thought it was. It's brutal. It's a tough watch. I think the nice thing is a lot of this stuff's coming to streaming because it's hard to access. And if, you know, if you're busy or you're uncomfortable being out, then it's a thing. Jade Campion's Power of the Dog, I caught. Very, very, very good. It's a slow burn sort of Western. It's got our boy. Clemens. And Kristen Dunst is in it. And I love that they're married in it because it just really, I don't know. I mean, like. It makes me happy that the Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are also married in real life. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful little thing. I'd hang out with them. Cumberbatch is really good. I think he's, I've always been a fan of his, but I sometimes forget because he's, so, he's in so frequently in pop culture stuff now. Him and sort of this like very, he's, he's a very hard to like character. And as you sort of uncover what creates that within him is is very good. And then I, I watched the last duel Ridley Scott's from this year that was bombed and because is of millennials. very good. Yeah, millennials, we ruined it. When it was announced <laughs> that Ridley Scott was making a, a Me Too movie, like my stomach dropped because I was like, the man is in his 80s. What is he going to say? And will it be something that just like, you know, ruins him? And instead, it's this sort of Rashomon type of a film. It's also a difficult watch full of great actors but um, it's essentially about a, a sexual assault. And it is the story leading to this between the three characters from the husband played by Matt Damon to Adam Driver, who's being accused, accused of it. And then Jodie Cromer, who was the victim and sort of the different ways that they tell the story to shape it around themselves versus the way that it happens. And you're sort of left to have to comprehend with what you think, even though we're, we're seeing it, we're seeing things in different ways and learning new information and the same conversations are happening, but they're happening. The dialect is different and the way that something's presented is different. It's, it's really fascinating. I was reading that it was written in a really interesting way, too, because it's Matt Demon and Ben Affleck doing a script for the first time since uh, Goodwill Hunting. But then they got Nicole Hall of Center to do the female story, right? I believe that to be the case. It's really good. I think it's one of those that's going to kind of pick up some steam with word of mouth. Highly recommend it, though, if you haven't. If you're looking to finish out some 2021 stuff to post your favorites of the year. I think it's a big standout. And then I ended the year with Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, which 
I adored First Reformed. And honestly, the trailer for the card counter did not leave me excited. And I was very wrong in, I guess, typical fashion. It is so much more than it's sort of centered to be from its advertising. And it's a very, very dark look at sort of the rituals that people build to get beyond their past. Another one with with a Willem Dafoe, another Willem Dafoe performance. He's killing it this year. But essentially Oscar Isaac is this card counter, but he, he loves this game. He loves gambling and he sort of uses it and finds people within it to find redemption for this his past, which has to deal with torturing and interrogating prisoners of war during the Iraq war. Yeah, it's brutal. It's pretty good, but I'd still wish it had ended like a scene and a half earlier than it does. But maybe that's my own pessimism. I didn't buy that last scene. As a year ender, I should have picked something that sort of got me excited for the new year and said you feel it's pretty miserable. Well, you saw West Side Story also, right? Which I like the more I think about it. I think going in, because this is Spielberg's new rendition of West Side Story that just came out. His previous film was Ready Player One, right? I thought that movie sucked. But um, I was kind of going into it with a little bit of like a, why are you doing this, Stephen? What's the point? And I still can't completely shake that feeling, but I do think the more I think about it, the more I like it. But it's still just like not quite. I do wish it had been like more different than the old one because it's obviously executed differently. And obviously it has the huge advantage of actually casting non-white people in all the non-white roles. But other than that, it didn't feel different enough to me that I felt like, it could kind of stand as anything other than here's this really interesting thing where a great director makes a new version of a classic uh, musical. But it, it is worth checking out. It's hard. It kind of sits in this little middle ground for me. Yeah, I can't wait to see it just to see how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I'm on the other end. I think the changes in it reshape the theme and how the movie sits with me in a way that makes it feel really modern and fresh. It does aesthetically outside of, I think Spielberg's, he's been making musicals within his movies for so long that this just seems like a natural thing. It's actually insane that he hasn't made a musical till this point. But like 1941 and Temple of Doom have all these scenes. I think a lot of his blocking has always felt really musical. So it was surprising when this was announced that he was finally making a musical in this. Why wait so long? Like uh, Connor was saying, the songs and stuff are essentially kind of just reworked versions. They're super effective. And I think to me, what takes it over though, is that they shift. There's a few characters that have changed. They have the shop owner, Doc, is played instead by his widowed wife, by Rita uh, Moreno. And she's Puerto Rican and she was married to Doc, who was a white guy. And it starts to kind of connect. It puts an emotional space into that character that wasn't there in the original. And they give different characters songs. So Cool is sung by Tony to Riff instead, and it puts a different spin on what their relationship is. And Somewhere is given to Rita Moreno's character as a song she performs. And I think it recontextualizes the dynamic. And I thought those choices were really interesting. I thought it was kind of phenomenal. I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I like the original. I love the original Broadway. I like the original movie, which is maybe a hot take. I don't love it. Go to hell. Rachel and I saw it a few months ago, and I think this one for me was was a winner. And I think that's pretty rare in the remake realm. I went down a rabbit hole with Stephen Sondheim. When Stephen Sondheim passed away, I did that thing where I was like, oh, you know, I want to listen to some interviews. And then suddenly I'm listening to every interview. And I happen to have Spotify, which Connor called me an old man, which is totally true. And now that I have Spotify, I was like, oh, 
I could like actually listen to all the Broadway original recordings of his shows. So then I listened to Pacific Overtures and Company and Sweeney Todd, which is my favorite. And Merrily We Roll Along, which I'm a huge fan of, which Richard Linklater is now shooting across 20 years. But the more I listen to Sondheim in interview, I'm sure everyone who loves Sondheim feels this because he actually really made a point in his life to teach the next generation. And it just really got me to thinking about that kind of personality because that's a rare personality. He didn't have any children of his own. So he made reaching out to Lin-Manuel Miranda or he would write people back who would write it like they would direct the high school production of his show and they'd be like 18 and he would write them back. I just thought, man, what a guy, what a character. And he really always delves into craft. And so he really got me thinking about craft and how important craft is. I do think in the end that possibly the greatest things are works of inspiration, but I think they are works of inspiration founded on craft. And so I just would recommend to people, if you listen to his score for Sweeney Todd, it's pretty devastating. And there's this one bit in it that I can't get over that I'm talking to everybody about where Angela Lansbury, who plays the daft woman who makes the pies, Mrs. Lovett, she has a like a little ruffian who helps her and he sings a song, Nothing's Gonna Harm You. It's really touching. Like he can't really protect her, but he's telling her. And then at the end of the show, she and Sweeney Todd are trying to find that ruffian to kill him because they're afraid he's going to give away what they're doing. And they're seeing to him, nothing's going to harm you, which then takes on a really ironic, dark, dark tone. And I was like, holy moly, that's good writing. Holy moly, that's really devastating. I only got to see two movies from 2021. I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but I watched Nicolas Cage in Pig, the Michael Sarnowski movie, and I loved it. I thought it was a little precious, the like dividing it into three acts and three dishes and this underground fight club where waiters can beat up chefs. I was like, uh, okay. In Portland, <laughs> it, it almost felt like a Portlandia sketch to me, that part. And they don't tank the movie or distract. But Daniel talked about this months ago when he saw it. The relationship between Nicolas Cage and Alex Wolf, his fast-talking truffle wholesaler, is dynamite. And then Adam Arkin does this late movie performance that shouldn't work, that really worked for me. And I loved that Cage made this decision that it's all going to be about overcoming anger and finding calm. And that I thought was one of his most brilliant acting choices I've ever seen. So I can't recommend Pig enough. And then I watched Summer of Soul, the documentary by Questlove, whose real name is it Ahmed Thompson? Yeah, he goes by his real name, but then, you know, lets everyone know he's Questlove. Amir Thompson. You can see it on Hulu. It's a true story that's a shame that makes you wonder how many more instances of this. In 1969, the Harlem Cultural Festival did all these amazing performances across the summer and recorded them. And you get Mahalia Jackson, Pop Staples and the Staples Sister, Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone. I mean, just doing at their top peak, doing their bangers and like all that footage was in a basement for 50 years, which makes no sense to me. And so Amir Thompson and his editors edit it together. And it's great. You know, it contextualizes where folks were at that time. There's a real great part where during the Harlem Cultural Festival, we land on the moon and they cut to a bunch of people in Harlem being like, yeah, 
okay, but there are a bunch of people starving here. And so why is it that like you're spending a trillion dollars to get us to the moon, but you can't give us like a billion dollars to help us out with some of the poverty issues here? And again, it's a very complex topic. A lot of the technology that came out of the moonshot was then suddenly used by the world. So you have to be a little more complex than that. But I think it does a great point of, of like, Okay, here are all these white people celebrating the moon landing. And meanwhile, here are all these people in America's shadow. And America did not do a good job politically or public relations wise of understanding that disconnect. And I thought that, you know, Amir Thompson and his editors did a great job in two hours of editing the hell out of this thing and really presenting something that's great. So I hope people will check it out. That's what I engaged with. And now I'm going to watch Color Out of Space. I'm going to try to catch up with my cage. I also, in terms of Marvel, stuff i thought the hawkeye show was great uh, a fun christmas romp through new york city i thought the new matrix movie ripped i've heard people call it lena wachowski's new nightmare and i think that's a really good interesting evaluation of it it's interesting that warner brothers funded such a high budget f you to itself get name drops warner brothers in it and i was like how is she allowed to make this and in the context of like warner brothers being like money hungry scumbags it rules it's got some last jedi vibes though i feel like it's gonna become sort of the like this is the worst movie i've ever seen of people being like this is incredible and i'm excited to read hopefully some good dissertations on it unlike last jedi though matrix resurrections does in its own text kind of put a middle finger at people who wanted something more traditional. I think Last Jedi's not trying to do that. I think Resurrections is actively trying to be like, oh, you wanted The Matrix Awakens? Why don't you go jump off a bridge, idiot? That's kind of the vibe of a lot of it. I thought it was great. And I wanted to, for posterity's sake, I wanted to do a quick read through of the movies I watched in my Monday movie nights with my buddies this last year, because I don't think I've done a, a rundown of the breadth of the films we watched in 2021. And so without further ado, we watched, starting at the beginning of last year, Samurai Cop, Top Secret, Identity, our Valentine's series started with Partners, Valentine, this kind of folded into a accidental Canadian series with Little Italy and My Bloody Valentine, Ryan's Babe, and then this transitions into a semi-accidental Wrestleman series with Money Plane, Ed Wood, Leprechaun Origins, which stars WWE superstar Hornswoggle as the Leprechaun, uh, Hulk Hogan's No Holds Barred. We did a little D&D duology of Mazes and Monsters and Dungeons and Dragons. For Easter, we did St. Maud. For a one-year anniversary, did Possessor, which was our favorite movie from the previous year, and Fateful Findings, which is the movie we started with. We did The Fast and the Furious, Observe and Report, A Simple Plan, Terror in Beverly Hills, Jim Cotta, Too Fast, Too Furious. For Pride Month, we did The Hunger, Ben and Arthur, Glenner Glinda, and Speed Racer. For the 4th of July, we did Mars Attacks. We did a little mini-series where we watched four movies that all start the same baboon, Unmasking the Idol, Shakma, Order of the Black Eagle, and David Cronenberg's The Fly. We did Pain and Gain, In Bruges, The Astrologer. Somewhere around here, we did an in-person double feature of movies we'd already watched earlier in the year, Fateful Findings and Ryan's Babe. We did Bride of the Monster, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, Suburban Sasquatch. For Halloween, we did Ghost Ship, Fright Night, Nothing But Trouble, 
and then a double feature of Audition and Serenity. We did The Bonfire of the Vanities, The One, Fast and Furious, Dirty Work, in memory of Renor McDonald. For Christmas, we did 2025, The World Enslaved by a Virus, <laughs> Christy, Santa's First Female Reindeer, Home Alone, The Holiday Heist, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, and In the Air, we watched Twisted Pear. That was the year that was, and now we're in the year that is. So wrapping this up, final thoughts? Just saying uh, you can watch Summer of Soul at the New Beverly Cinema on 35mm, which I might do since you did that, Craig. Do it, man. You'll love it. It's incredible. Stevie Wonder kills it. I gave a list of the favorite movies I saw last year. Can I do like a quick rundown out of them? You can do whatever you want. It's your show. Okay. Okay, so... Phantom Thread, Capricorn One, As Tears Go By, Die Hard, Pits of the City, uh, Jerry, Ed Wood, Frost Nixon, Ennio the Maestro, uh, Miss 45, Licorice Pizza, Taking Off, 12 Angry Men, Casino, The Man from Hong Kong, Drunken Master 2, which I, I love the Blu-ray, Daniel, Thief, Invasion USA, Straight Time, Godzilla 85, Boss N, Halloween 3, Seeds of the Witch, even though I saw, like, the last 30 minutes of it, I still plugged it in because I wanted to see it. Blue Velvet, Halloween, The Craft, The Ruins, Race for the Devil, Spirit of 76, Alien, Streets of Fire, Collateral, Midnight in Paris. Are you doing all 735 movies you watched last year, or are we? <laughs> oh, no, this, this this is short. Alan Partridge, Alpha, Papa, Savage Streets, Vice Squad, Angel, Minority Report, uh, Hell of the Pacific, L.A. Story, Terminator 2, Ishtar, Val, Blue Collar, of Unknown Origin, Defending oh, Your Life, Once Upon a Time in the West, Over the Edge, the and, um, and the last one is... um. The Cowboys. Okay. 2021 was nuts for movies. I keep track of everything I watched that were released that year. And of the 83 I've seen, like 63 I would recommend to people. And a lot of it, it's never been easier to access it. Most everything outside of a few things that are still getting like weird rollouts is available. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much good stuff. Like, I feel like every year I see people tweeting or... You know, I'm probably looking at the wrong places, but people are like, ah, oh, there's nothing good out. And there's so much incredible stuff out by people who are getting to do what they're like. People like that we've gotten, you know, Sean Baker's Red Rocket. There's this great movie, Shiva Baby, super low budget indie stuff that's making rounds. And there's never been easier access to things. And if you're comfortable, some of it's in the theater. If you're not comfortable, watch it at home and have a great time. And watch some great stuff. And I'll just say that this morning I listened to Frank Zappa's album Apostrophe. And that thing rips. Dude, Zappa could play the guitar. I'll have to talk about Zappa another time. I struggle with Zappa because he's so ridiculously talented. But he's also so satirical. And he always seems to be taking the piss out of everything. That it sometimes almost obscures what could have been a commercially... Which I think was his point. I don't think he wanted to go the commercial route. So he he's so defiantly anti-commercial and how ironic he is but apostrophe somehow i think hits a zappa golden mean blew my mind i also love hot rats so listen to some zappa guys if, if you want to discover some crazy stuff he's got like 80 albums so you're never going to run out of it and you can find me at twitch.tv slash connor cruz and you can also find me at los ps3 working in case you want to assassinate him <laughs> any other plugs don't do that and in case you want to get schooled by me because i'm the best and I got a knife. 
All right. Great. He's the best and he's got a knife. I don't even know where you go with that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, So as always, just go to secretmovieclub.com. Our whole January is posted tonight. Come watch Bad Boys 2 and Pain and Gain. Do a reappraisal. Tomorrow, The Rock and Armageddon, all on 35. Next week, kick off John Ford, Director of the Year with Ford Apache, one of his absolute best. Thursday, El Mariachi, Robert Rodriguez, 35 millimeter. You can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Guys, it's great to be together. I cannot state this enough, though. 2022, as every year needs to be, but I feel it very deep in my bones, onwards and upwards here, like not not treading water here, not just more of the same. Like we, we got to be part of the solution that brings cinema roaring back. So I'm throwing that gauntlet down right now. It is going to be a lot of work, but uh, I hope that Secret Movie Club goes to new places, does different things, tries out new things. I hope it's exciting. We want all of you who are listening and all of you who aren't listening to be part of the community and to not only just watch, but to also create And thank you guys for doing all of it. You guys work your butts off for Secret Movie Club. I will see you next week when we will be talking about Stanley Kubrick because, believe it or not, he was our director of the year of 2020. Then COVID cut that off in March just after we'd shown the killing. And we said, F that, Rona. We were like, Rona, you think you're going to do that? We slapped Rona fronthand and backhand, and we picked up the series in 2021, and we finished it. We honored Mr. Kubrick. And uh, so next week, we are going to talk about Stanley Kubrick, our director of 2020. As always, these episodes are edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. And uh, that's it. Peace. I'm praying for your soul right now, Edwin. Yeah.